Before I have you stand, I'll just give you a, a quick overview of it. Psalm 55 was written by David. It is, um, it's an instructive psalm. And the idea as a masculine is it's to teach us something. And as you recall, the last time we, we took a look at another psalm, um, there's a word called selah. Do you remember what that means? It mean, yeah, it means to pause and reflect. And so there's two selahs in this psalm, and they're interestingly placed. And we will pause and reflect. I'll add something in the midst of them so you'll get an idea of what David is contemplating when he says selah. Uh, David wrote this at a very critical time in his life. He's much older as he's writing Psalm 55. And his, his kingdom is under siege. Rebellion has occurred. His son Absalom has rebelled against him. David is fleeing for his life. He's crossed the Jordan. He's a penny looking for change. He has very few friends remaining. The, the lion's share of the people have sided with Absalom. David crosses the Jordan, goes into the wilderness. A man by the name of Barzillai uh, gives him shelter and respite. When the rebellion is stopped and David comes back into Jerusalem, he says to Barzillai, this older man, he says, come with me. You can dwell in my kingdom. He says, I'm old. He was in his late 80s. He says, I, I, there's, no, there's no food or delicacies I can even taste anymore. I just want to stay in my home and grow old with my grandkids and call it, call it a life. And he says, but take my, my, uh, my son, Kim Ham. And, and he went with David. And, um, and David entrusted to Kim Ham his ancestral home. He gave it to Kim Ham. And that was his ancestral home in Bethlehem. And, uh, and David survives the rebellion, but in the course of the rebellion, his heart is deeply broken because it's amazing that uh, in crisis, you really find out who your friends are and who your enemies are. These are challenges in life where it, it's like when you turn a light on in a barn at night, the, the rats scurry and the birds sing. And, and, and trial really defines this aspect in life. And and David starts to see betrayal, and he sees people that he thought were his friends were not, and his heart's broken. And it is a, it is a crying out to God psalm, and it's very profound and very powerful. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We stand for the word of the Lord, we sit for the word of the teacher, one we honor, the other we tolerate. <laughs> Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan noisily. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. If this were a song, I don't know the rhythm of it. I, I don't know how he would compose the music. I can only assume and I'm, I'm listening to this, and I hear heavy metal. Just this, you know, he's, he's crying out to God, and he's just lamenting these people. And then it comes to a refrain where he starts to play softly. And this is verse 6. He says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. And he just, he just starts thinking about there's instrumental at that Selah, and he's just dreaming of a place to go away to and get out of the trouble. And then it comes in heavier. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. It's heavy metal. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. And then he goes into this description of, of a friend, and it says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. 
nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And then it just crescendos with this heavy metal. He just says, let death seize them. Send them to hell. That's the song. That's my brain. That's how I hear it. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God. And the chords change and it softens as the Lord shall save me evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He's redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them even he who abides from of old, Selah. And as he meditates on God of old, it says, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. And it, it brings back to remembrance. So he's tried to get rid of it and it comes right back and he starts thinking. The words of his mouth, well, he says first, I'm sorry, verse 20, he has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. He's thinking on this friend that betrayed him. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn swords. He's, he's back at that vision of this man. It's breaking his heart. He stop. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. Remember that. But I will trust in you. And then he rests after that. And God has much for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and this song from David's heart the making of a psalmist, and you take him through this unbelievable battle, not only against enemy, but friend, betrayal, deceit, corruption, violence, iniquity, oppression. It's all there. And yet, Lord, bigger are you than all those issues. You calm and quiet David's soul like a weaned child is a soul within him, and he hopes in you and he trusts in you. Lord, do that for us today this instructive psalm that we're to receive from, I pray that you would instill it into our heart, that it would be ours to own today, a gift from you. We thank you for it. Bless us as we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. This is, um, this is a powerful psalm. Songs written from the heart of a psalmist, that, that the sweet psalmist of Israel. And, and these are songs that have substance because this man's been through it. He owns this music. And, and it touched lives and it still does today. Psalm 55 blesses me in a very profound manner. I, I go through this and I, I, I hear it. I mean, think of the times in your life where life is so overwhelming and conflict surrounds you. And, and we can, it doesn't take us long to, to think on that. Selah. And, and David immediately begins by saying, give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. He's already in prayer. He's talking to God. And it's amazing how trial and difficulty puts us to our knees. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, I knew at times there was nowhere else to me, for me to go but to my knees. I think the greater the problem, the greater the person who can solve it. And at times only God can, and only, only God can always but we come to a place where we realize that. And David is at a place where 
His kingdom is divided. Everything is imploding. His friends are betraying him. He's running for his life. He's old. He's reflecting back on the implosion of his family and the failure of his family. His whole life seems to be meaningless and he's crying out to God. And he's seeing war surround him. He's watching citizens die. He's watching the concubines being raped by his son. He's watching his son rebel against him. He's seeing his best friend betray him. He's, and, and actually, when David crossed the Jordan, a man by the name of Shimei came out and started throwing dung at him. And Abishai was right next to David. He goes, let me kill him. David goes, no, he's being used of the Lord today. Humiliation brings humility. Just let him do it. And the dung is hitting David as he's walking. This is the king and he's throwing dung at him. And David says, leave him alone. David is overwhelmed. And when he probably gets to Barzillai's house, having crossed the Jordan, he has an opportunity as, as these visions are swirling in his head to pen these words. And he's just, he's saying to God, help me. And it's a prayer written to music and he's, he's pouring it out and he says, attend to me and hear me. I'm restless in my complaint. I moan noisily. He, it just, there are times, as the scriptures say, groaning's too deep for words. Just, oh. oh. You don't even know how to express what's happened to your heart. And then he just starts to lay out the, the, the simplicity of what he can comprehend. And he says, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath, they hate me. God, I'm in trouble here. All hell's breaking loose. My heart is severely pained. You know those troubles where it just feels like someone's standing on your chest, right? Terrors of death have fallen upon me. I, I don't see a way out of this. It's awful. I can't survive this. I don't want to live, quite frankly. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I, this is, I love this part. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Right? I can't tell you. I, I come home, I turn to my wife, Michelle, and I say, I just want to get the heck out of here. I just want to drive and not come back. And her response, instead of comforting me and, and giving me, she says, I'll get my coat. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the airlines are brilliant. They, they get this. You know, I, 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 um, I was in North Carolina, and then this week I was in, in Iowa, and, and, and I got back late Friday night. I missed my son's football game. I was flying, and then uh, Thursday I leave for uh, North Carolina again, and then the following week uh, we go to Jacksonville, Florida, and the following week we go to Ohio, and then we go to Pennsylvania. And we're, oh, no, Missouri, then Ohio, then Pennsylvania. And this is every week, and then all the stuff. And, it, and, and you're sitting on a plane, and I've already seen all the movies. I've already, you know, and I, I've already read all the magazines, and I've, I've read, and there's only so much, only so much you can do. And you're sick of traveling. You're sick of being cooped in a tube at, you know, 50,000 feet. And people sneezing and coughing and uh, all kinds of stuff. And, and you're, you're just, you're sick of it. And the, and the airlines are brilliant. They, they give you this, this incentive that you watch as you accumulate miles as you're in this tube. And the more miles you accumulate, they, they let you dream of a place you can go. And to arrive there, you're in a tube. And, but you, you just, but you go there and you just say, if I keep, okay, so seven weeks at 5,000 miles, six added to this, I'd have enough to, oh, and the beaches. 
and, and you, you, you dream. It's like buying a lottery ticket. It, it's, it's, a, it's a drug for a dollar. What I would do is $70 million. I'd tithe it. No, you wouldn't. You don't even tithe now. And, and, and that's, that's the picture. And he's just, he's captivated, and, and he just, he's, he's escaping. Oh, that I would wander afar off and remain in the wilderness. I just don't want to do this anymore. I want to run from this. And one of the reasons why we avoid conflict is because we don't like to be in a battle, and we get tired of it. And it was J. Vernon McGee who says, I get, I get tired in the ministry, but not of the ministry. And we do get tired, and we do want to go. And I confess to you, there, there are days I don't want to do it anymore. You know, the responsibility and the battles and the trials. And, and the enemy is, is real. I, I, I engage that every single week. Every week. And, and I can handle that. I can handle opposition. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like being a Revolutionary War soldier, Continental Army, fighting the British Redcoats. That's the enemy. They're dressed in red. They march towards you. You know what they look like. It's real simple. And they've defined themselves, and they're in opposition to you, and I'm okay with that. I can handle enemies. They're, they're, they're honest about the fact that they do not agree with me, and they're contending with me. And I'm okay with that. The toughest one is David is, is contemplating this vacation spot and wanting to get away from the voice of the enemy and the oppression of the wicked and the trouble that's come down and the wrath of, of the hatred that they have for him. He, he just, he, he's, he's at this point where he's trying to think of this place in Selah and all that he can say at that point is, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I'd get out of here. And then his mind just is overwhelmed. He just says, destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. I have seen violence and strife in the city. And he lists these, these things, violence and strife and iniquity and trouble and destruction and oppression and, and deceit. And he's just, it's, it's everywhere in the city. Everywhere I go, it's there. Everywhere I turn, it's, it's, it's embedded, it's ingrained. It just doesn't stop. And he says, and, and to add insult to injury, to make it worse, if it couldn't get any worse, it gets exponentially worse. And this is where it hurts the most. The enemy's out there. But it's the deceit in here. He, he, he lists a friend, probably his closest friend, probably his best friend. Betrayal of a best friend. Not just a best friend, a friend that you, you go to church with and you have sweet fellowship with. You read the same scriptures and pray to the same God. He says in verse 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. I, I can handle that. I, I see them. I, they're honest about their hatred for me. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could, I could hide from him. At least I can see him coming. He says, but it was you. A man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. The idea of acquaintance in the Hebrew is my friend, my best friend. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. This is unbearable. And the minute he contemplates that, as he gets news of the betrayal, his response in verse 15 is he says, let death seize them, send them to hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them, send them to hell. Now that's not a Christian prayer we can pray. 
God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. But I'll tell you what. The thing I love about David is he's honest with God. God, I know that you're different than that. But could I just be candid with you? In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. If it were up to me, I would say send him to hell. Really, David? Yes, I would. Yes. Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Send him to hell. There's wickedness in their dwellings and all among them. Let death seize them. Strike them dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. David, yes, Lord. Do you realize that you're a murderer? He's old at this point. You see, Second Samuel chapter 11, he had already committed adultery with Bathsheba. He'd already murdered Uriah the Hittite. David, do you really want me to send them to hell? Because they're going to have company. Do you want justice, David, or do you want mercy? David, you're the one who wrote mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, I, 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 and he settles, he says, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Yes, I save you, David. I saved you from two sins for which there was no sacrifice, murder and adultery. And let's add, David, you're a liar. David, my word declares blessed. I, 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 I wrote this, David, and, and you'll see it later. Blessed. Oh, how happy are the merciful, for they shall receive what, David? Mercy. Do you want mercy, David? I do. The only way you get it is to give it. How do I give mercy to a person like that, Lord? My best friend betrayed me. Fascinating. He says, destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues. Their their counsel unified is going to destroy me. Destroy them first. Divide their tongues at least. Split their counsel. Confuse them. I've seen violence and strife in the city and it's their doing. Day and night they go around on its walls. There's iniquity and trouble. It's all in their midst. Destruction's in their midst. Oppression and deceit that doesn't depart from the streets. It's them, Lord. I'm crying out to you in honesty. I'm crying out to you candidly. Lord, I told you it's an enemy who reproached me. I could handle it if it was, it was someone who exalted themselves against me. I, I could hide from them. But it's my friend, God. It's my friend, David just simply says at the conclusion of verse 17, at verse 17, he says, Lord, evening and morning and noon, I'll pray and cry aloud. You shall hear my voice. I, I'm, I'm just pouring out my heart to you. You know what's amazing about prayer? You can't hate somebody you're praying for. You, you hate somebody right now, somebody hurts you. Have you asked that God would bring conviction? Have you asked that God would move in their life? Have you asked that God's kindness would lead them to repentance? Ooh, that's a tough prayer. And David says in verse 18, God, you have redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. You know how that came? Because of prayer. He's praying. Verse 19, God will hear 
And God, you'll afflict them. Even who he, even he who abides from old, Selah. And he just says, God, you take care of it. Let me, let me just share with you forgiveness is not forgetting. You can't forget. It takes me moments to go back to that place. You can't forget. We're, we're human beings. We can't forget. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Forgiveness is taking the actions of the person that hurt you and putting the consequences for those into the hands of God so that you can give it to him and you can rest. Leave it with him. God, you take it. God will hear and afflict them. God, that's yours. You lay awake angry at somebody. Why? What good is that doing you? You've locked yourself in a prison and you've given the person you hate the keys. You've allowed them to continue to be the perpetrator and you are the victim. And it's your anger and your hatred that keeps you in prison and it's killing you. And God says, hold every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you and you give that to the Lord and you go to bed. Let the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Rest. And David gives this to the Lord. He says, God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from old, Selah. And this is what's fascinating, Selah. And David just says, God, you take it, Selah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to rest. And here's what happens. You're just, okay, I feel so much better. Mm. God, they don't change. They don't even fear you. He put forth his hand against those who are at peace with him. He broke his covenant. We come right back. We just take it out of God's hands. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? And we just steal it back. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. War was in his heart. He was so soft the way he talked. He was just stabbing the whole time. I didn't even know it. I bled to death. Didn't even know I'd been stabbed. His words were softer than oil. They were drawn swords, oil. It's like the picture of the Holy Spirit as we, we poured some on Sarah's head. My, my wife, can you, you know, my, my face is so soft. Why is it so much smoother? Because I use this new stuff, shaving oil, and it's just, it's amazing how close you can get. You can try, you feel it later, it's amazing. And, and it's, 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 it's softer than oil. He says, but they were drawn swords, and he's just back at that place, And then he stops himself. He says, cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He'll never allow the righteous to be moved. God, I'm back there again. Please take this. And then he reminds himself, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Lord, you'll destroy their ways. They're bloodthirsty and deceitful men. They're not gonna, okay, God, don't send them to hell. Just destroy them. All right, don't destroy them. Just don't let them live out half their days. Just... Just cut them short. Lord, your word says that the way of the transgressor is hard, so just make it really hard. But Lord, I'll trust in you. I'll trust in you. 
all of this is fascinating to me because the betrayal of a friend that sends David over the edge and gets him into this tailspin and the picture that we've seen as he writes this psalm, every one of us can relate to. Every one of us. And yet what's amazing is a betrayal of a friend. This is a prophetic psalm in a sense because Luke 22 There was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he turns to his disciples in the midst of this and all hell is descending upon him and misery. And you want to talk about a war. You want to talk about trouble and iniquity and violence and strife and oppression and deceit and destruction. It is descending on him. Every sin of the world, the devil himself, is descending upon Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he is. And he turns to his disciples in that place. He says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdraws from them a stone's throw and he kneels down. He begins to pray and he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's settling into the Lord. He's crying out to the Father. He's seeing what's about to hit him. He knows what's awaiting him. He knows it'll be tortured more than any other human being has ever lived, has ever experienced. He will suffer every pain imaginable. His father, will, as he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, he'll be separated from the Father. And the misery and the darkness and the oppression... And the deceit will all descend on him. And as he's crying out, he's in agony and it's just pouring over him. And in agony, it says he prayed more earnestly and the sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. It's a medical picture that the the capillaries burst and blood is dripping from his skin. This is stress at its highest level. And as he rises from prayer and he comes to his disciples, they're not praying, they're sound asleep. There's nobody with me. You're not even interceding. You're not even crying out to the Father. You're not even asking God to settle your heart. You need to pray lest you enter into temptation. Temptation to be a part of what they're doing. And while he finishes speaking to his disciples, if it it couldn't get worse, it does. Right then, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude was and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near to Jesus to kiss him. Kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? In the other account of the gospel, he says to Judas, why have you come, friend? And then he looks at him, he says, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? You guys won't pray, and you're throwing me under the bus. You've been with me for three years. You want to talk about having a hatred for humanity and thinking that it's not worth it? And Peter, to make it worse, pulls out his sword and cuts off the high priest servant's ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. Those who live by the sword will die by it. And he picks up the ear and he puts it back on Malchus. And at that point, when he said his name, all the soldiers were backed off by the Spirit of God. You want to talk about intensity. And Jesus, his heart is broken as he's watching. And, And you know what? He was up all night you think about a woman who, is, who, who has false labor, goes into the hospital and they put all the, the wiring and everything and you get no rest and, and, and it's painful and struggling and, you're, and, and the doctors keep you there and they finally discharge you and you go back, you haven't had any sleep. It was early in the morning when you went, you haven't had any sleep and then you got the kids that are at home and you're exhausted and your husband's tired and everybody's just frazzled and then labor kicks in and it's not just that short, pop the baby out labor. No, it's 19, 20, 25 hours. No sleep, you're delirious, you're just shaking, and you look over, and your husband, (laughs) 
That's, and, and the person who needed the most sleep was the one who was going to face the most intense beating, and that was the Lord. He had anything to drink, and when he's on the cross, and he says, I, I thirst, and they give him moisture for his lips so that he could just form the words to tell us die. It is finished. And he gives up his soul. And in the midst of all that misery, as everyone's betrayed him, does he say, send him to hell? No. He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh man, we love to blame people and be bitter. But that's not the way. That's not the way. And in the text that we read where David writes the words, bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. That was prophetic. Matthew 27, verse 5 says, Then Judas threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and he went and he hanged himself. Life isn't fun when you betray people. You don't value them, and thus your value is diminished, and you don't like who you are. When you reduce the value of another human being, you reduce your value. When you judge another human being, you judge yourself. I, I think one of the reasons why it was so hard for David when his best friend betrayed him is because we put reproach on ourselves. How could I have ever allowed that to happen to me? We love to read this and think, oh, David, he's put upon. Oh, David, he, th- this is so fair of him to write these words. And, and yet, is it? Is it? David's old here. Let's just back the bus up a little bit. Beep, beep, beep. Let's take it back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3, where all this mess began. We wound it up and we let it go in 2 Samuel eleven three. How did this destruction begin? It was real simple. David sent and inquired about the woman he saw from the rooftop, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Bring her here. Adultery. We've studied it. Murder. Deceit. Trouble, iniquity, violence, strife. Oppression. David did it. He let that bomb go. That's 2 Samuel 11. He lights that bomb off and he commits adultery and murder and destruction and deceit and he sends it into the kingdom. And what happens? His son Amnon sees his half-sister Tamar and he's drawn to her. Levitical law forbids incest, but he still wants her and so he, he feigns sickness so that she comes in to bring him food and he rapes her. You know what? David's in the thick of his own sin. He still hasn't been confronted by Nathan. And he's thinking, how am I supposed to judge my son when I'm myself guilty of the same thing? It's amazing as sinners how unable we are to confront other people's sin because we just don't want to judge ourselves. And David doesn't confront Amnon. And Absalom looks at him and says, Dad, he raped my sister. Do something. Do something. 
Two years, nothing. David's paralyzed by his own sin. Absalom finally says, enough is enough, and he goes in and he kills Amnon. And then he runs. And you know what David does after murder's committed? Nothing. He's a murderer, he can't. How do you parent from a sinful past? I look at my kids and I, I say no to them when at their age, everything was yes to me. It seems hypocritical, doesn't it? Well, I'll tell you how you sin or how you parent from a sinful past. I can tell you how to sin too if you want. But I can tell you how to parent from a sinful past. It's real simple. You look at the kids, you say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you're not going there. It's death and destruction and it's deceit and wrath and misery. And as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And you just do it. David didn't. Absalom doesn't even get his father to confront his sin. He's separated from his dad, so he's finally angry and he causes this rebellion. David's the one who lit this bomb off. David's the one who destroyed his family. Amnon's murdered. Tamar's been raped. And Absalom is not confronted for anything he's done. And here's David writing this psalm, sitting in the recreation of Barzillai's home. You know Barzillai's home, interestingly enough? Uh, did I tell you this? That Kim, uh, Chim Ham, his son, was given the ancestral home of David. And as you, you take a look at this, and what's fascinating is when you get to the other portion of Jeremiah 41, there's a word that is used that isn't used anywhere in the scriptures, and it describes a, a home for strangers. It's an inn. David's ancestral home, owned by Kimham, becomes an inn for wayfarers, a hotel. In Bethlehem. You get the connection. So thousands of years later, you look at Joseph and Mary, both in the lineage of David. Jesus, born in the line of the tribe of Judah, comes to his ancestral home, which he has every right to occupy, but there's no room for him at the end. You want to talk about a God who can be upset. I have rights to that place. Well, listen, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. It's his too. You want to talk about justified in his anger. And yet, that's not what Jesus does. And David is now left to contemplate in Barzillai's stead all of Psalm 55. And there's an angle on this I don't think we get. In the next six minutes, I'll give that to you. The man he speaks of in verse 12, the best friend that betrayed him, it wasn't Absalom, that was his son. His son betrayed him, his heart was broken. The man who betrayed him was his best friend, his name was Ahithophel. You know the story. Ahithophel was David's most trusted counselor. When he would speak, the scripture says, it was though the mouth of God himself were speaking, the oracle of God. And Ahithophel sided with Absalom in the rebellion, and David couldn't fathom that. Hushai the archite had come along David's side, and, and, and David was so overwhelmed that he was burdened. He was burdened by the fact that Ahithophel had sided 
with Absalom. And he said, I pray, O Lord, that you would thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. That's his prayer. And in and, and verse 9 of Psalm 55, he said the same thing. Lord, divide their tongues, ruin his counsel, frustrate them. And then Hushai the archite comes to David and he says, I'm with you. And he says, I don't need another person in tow. I can barely walk myself. I'm old. You go back into the palace and you thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. And Hushai goes in and he, he feigns allegiance to Absalom. And, and Ahithophel lays it out and he says, this is the plan. This is the counsel I give you, Absalom. I, I, I want you, first of all, to go up and declare war with David. Rape his concubines on the rooftop. Humiliate him. Humiliate him. And then give me a handful of men. I don't need a big army. A handful of men. David's tired. He's old. His men are exhausted. I will pursue him with vim and vigor and I will overtake him and no one will die but David and I will kill him myself. But we need to do this now. I know his haunts. I know where he hides. I know his tactics. I'm his best friend and I will kill him. And Absalom's moved by that. He says, but what does Hushai have to say? And Hushai knows how to appeal to a man like Absalom whose hair is beautiful and he's the most handsome man in the kingdom. And he appeals to his ego and he says, no. He says, you mess with David and it'll be like a, a mama bear robbed of her cubs. He will eviscerate you. He's got Abishai and Joab and Abinadab. These guys are in David's mighty men. They, they can kill 200 men by themselves. You don't want to mess with those guys. They may be on the run, but they're vicious warriors. You wait until all of Israel is assembled with you and then you will march in the front of this massive army and, and he'll just melt because of your presence. And Absalom sees himself at the front of this army and his hair flowing. He gets this picture and his ego takes it. He says, the counsel of Hushai is far superior than Ahithophel's. And Hushai's like, yes. And Hushai sends word, go, David, run. You got time. I, I bought you some time. And Ahithophel realizes this kid is an idiot. Absalom's an idiot. And watch what happens here in accordance with the last verse of Psalm 55, where we read, bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. Watch what happens here. Second Samuel 17, 23, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went to his house, to his city, and then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. Absalom gets caught in a terebinth tree by his hair, and Joab sticks him like a pig with a spear and he kills him and he doesn't live out half his days. The way of the transgressor is hard. And everybody dies and David's heart is broken and the psalm has been written. And we think, poor, poor David. Wait. Wait. For those of you who feel justified by Psalm 55, wait. Ahithophel. You remember when we read about Bathsheba and they tried to stop him when David said in 2 Samuel eleven three, David sent and inquired about the woman Bathsheba and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Uriah whom he would murder, Bathsheba whom he would sleep with. Eliam, one of David's mighty men. He humiliated his daughter. He killed his son-in-law. But let's go one step back. 2 Samuel 23, 34. Eliam, describing him as one of David's mighty men, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileonite. 
Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel. Eliam's father, Uriah's grandfather-in-law. David, you did this. You did this, David. David was a man who understood the power of mercy. And as he's writing this psalm and he gets to a place where he's cried out and he's in anguish and in frustration to the Lord and he's embittered to God and every time he's trying to settle his heart, all he can do is come back to a place where he sees this image of Ahithophel, where he sees this image of Absalom, where he sees this picture of what they've done and what they did to the concubines and what they've done to his nation. And then he has to go back to Amnon and he has to go back to Tamar and he has to go back to Absalom because he first had to go back to Bathsheba and then Uriah. And he's thinking, God, I'm a mess. I'm burdened by this. There's not only war on the outside, there's war on the inside. I'm at war with myself. I can't even forgive myself. I'm the one who's been worshiping with myself. I took sweet counsel with you, Lord, and yet I'm even betraying myself. I think somehow my sin is less miserable than everyone else's. God, help me. And he comes to verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall permit the righteous to be moved. Your righteousness is what I've given you, David. He says, God, then will you just stop this and bring them to the pit of destruction? Will you just end this? Will you allow this person and me to die? And will you allow anyone who rebels against righteousness to die? Lord, bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. If I keep this up, my bones are aching inside me. I can't do it. God, and he closes with this. Listen, I will trust in you. Are you tired yet? You're angry. How's that working for you? Who are you angry with? Me? Likelihood is I, I, I don't know that I've offended you and I'm really not even thinking about you. And that might even upset you more. Or the person next to you? Or someone who's not here? How's that working for you? And question for you. Is there anyone who feels about you the way you feel about me or the people you're upset with? And is your bitterness a result of frustration? This is a room where mercy is manifested because we need it. And the only way we can get it is to give it. And you need to calm and quiet your soul and settle down. Hold that thought captive and give it to the Lord and trust in Him. Trust in Him. That's our only hope, folks. And David understood the power of that. And it's a gift from David to you and me today. It's an instructive psalm. And God has now instructed us and blessed us. And may mercy be prevalent in the body of Christ. 
And may God strengthen you and give you the ability to forgive and to get out of that prison and to move on with your life. In Jesus' name, amen.